Welcome to our second episode of the Workforce Identity Developer Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Egan. Matt is the Director of Technical Strategy here at Okta. Matt, welcome to the show. What Director of Technical Strategy? Emily, it's great to be uh, great to be here today. So, what is the uh, Director of Technical Strategy? Um, so I, I work in the Corp Dev organization uh, here. So director of technical strategy is a little ambiguous. If you if you start to place me in the organization, it, it adds up a little more. So uh, in the corporate strategy organization that's owned by Monty Gray, Monty Gray's executive vice president reports to Todd and has the Corp Dev role. So that includes mergers and acquisitions, Octa Ventures, uh, the technical aspect of our uh technical go-to-market partnerships uh, where, where we have joint marketing in place. And then we have a corp strategy function within there. And uh, so in there, I report to Stephen Lee and we have purview over just the technical liaison uh, between product and engineering or any technical due diligence that's required to serve those purposes. So yeah. that puts me in contact with a lot of people that rely on uh, or end up deriving value in interacting with Okta's various integrations. Absolutely. And the developers who are working on things like the Okta Integration Network, I'm sure are going to be using the technologies that result from some of those decisions that you help make. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I would say that that was, uh, you know, the, the, the main goal of of my role initially when joining was to was to reach that developer audience that, that worked at uh, companies where there were logical integrations to take place. So an ISV could uh, you know kind of understand, hey, what's the value prop if I if I did this? Being able to to kind of articulate a, a customer's the value prop to a customer, what what what's in it for um, you know somebody at the end. So I was able to I think articulate that better to that developer persona so they could get justification to build these things. Yeah, those ISVs or independent software vendors are the folks who build applications that they then publish on our integration network. So do you have some history on how that integration network got to where it is today? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't claim like all up responsibility for it, but if you go back in history, you know, and kind of look at, at, at what Okta was, and I have, uh, you know, having worked at Okta for about six years, I was actually uh, an early customer of Okta's as well. So in the 2013, 2014 timeframe, I was deeply involved with uh with evaluating Okta and deploying Okta for, for a company. And so um, the one of the key value props there as a customer was understanding how much easier it was to deploy new single sign-on integrations and to adopt new applications given the capability that I had to, to bring that identity uh, component there simply. And so you know, so it started out with that with that catalog, the broad catalog of applications, the single sign-on applications, and, and uh, that grew over time. So I, when I joined in 2017, we were starting to deploy um, more advanced API-based integrations where there was uh, a little bit more cohesion. Uh, some of these things weren't standards-based anymore, so we were jumping out of you know normalized frameworks like SAML and getting into how does somebody interact with Octave proprietary API to analyze a system log or to uh, sync a directory uh, with a with a proprietary source. So those aspects started to take a little more shape in, in 2017 and around that same time frame we started to send there's an ecosystem there and and it had that interaction and, and uh, you know convinced everybody to then rename the Okta application network, the OAN to the Okta integration network, the OIN. And so that's kind of that genesis through 2017 uh, you know, went on to where we are today with with some of these you know exciting announcements of uh, of API service integrations, which is like a, a full maturation of some of the early API based integrations that I did work with companies like Splunk to to build SIM integrations and and uh, 
other you know companies like uh, Palo Alto, XSOAR to do um, SOAR integrations for security orchestration. And, and uh, those integrations have, have kind of taken shape. And, we, and now we have a little more, for, a, a better opportunity to put some formality around how those integrations are discovered and then configured by customers. Yeah, absolutely. And that context of it formally being named application kind of helps understand what we mean by integrations. They're really just those tools that are applicable to outside of just your Okta tenant. Um, so what is in it for a developer if they publish the, their app onto the OIN? What do they gain from that publication and that sharing if it's maybe not just a service that they're selling? Yeah, you know, you could think about uh, you know who are the developers that, that are going to interact with with that aspect with like the the public uh, market facing aspect of the OIN, the integration network. And uh, you know, I think that's that's kind of a unique developer persona that's gonna that's gonna get value out of that. Probably usually driven by somebody that has a, a business development or a product management focus that's trying to highlight a joint integration, um, and and would would want that uh, the exposure that comes along with the being on the catalog, and then also the verification and the additional information that's that's published in there, allowing customers to understand that hey, this is Octa verified. It's been reviewed. I know that it works. I know that I'm going to have some documentation. I know that if I call, I've got somebody that I can ask questions to, to help, uh, you know, diagnose and understand these things. So having that consistent documentation experience, um, you know, just greatly simplifies that. Oh, yeah. And from an application development perspective as well, having your users already know what they need to do to install that app, what they need to do to set it up, what the questions it's asking you about scopes mean is huge. You get to skip that training because they already know or Okta can teach them in a way that's generic to all integrations. Absolutely. It, it, it helps customers solve uh you know these problems that are they're consistent and they exist across their landscape. So you know you being able to speak in a common language that that's that's kind of consistent across that ecosystem is huge. So if a developer is figuring out whether the app is a fit for the OIN they might be a vendor that's going to sell the product to Okta users, or they might just want their own business to integrate with external partners. They might even want to integrate across branches of their own business. For instance, might you develop an app to ease the integration process if your company has just acquired another company that's also an Okta user? Yeah, a variety of areas to, you know, to think about the different audiences that are going to you know, get potentially get value out of the OIN. So, you know, first and foremost, it's it's going to be those listings of applications where we're providing, you know, single sign-on or the lifecycle management aspect of, of identity. But as you get into, you know, some of those more, uh, you know, diverse integrations, you, you do see some opportunities, right? So, so like the value that comes out of those is just having that consistent integration. So there isn't really a monetary aspect of this. Nobody's selling anything. Um, it's just, it's that, uh, you know, Maybe there's a, a, a joint um, uh, highlighting of the integration and it allows for, for that common area, but it's not a, you're not transacting yeah. across that. Nobody's making any money. Um, but, the, but the ease of use that comes out of that and just the simplification process, you know, that, that simplification is the, is the benefit to the Octa customers and, and you know, the joint. Now, if, I, if I'm doing something internal for my own application, say it's a, a line of business application or something that we built that's, that's highly custom, uh, the, the value of having something published in the OIN starts to diminish a little bit. And there you're just taking advantage of the framework that the OIN provides, generic skim servers or skim clients, generic uh, SAML configuration templates or OAuth servers and, and OIDC uh, endpoints. So you don't have to go and build those. 
you know, components uh, uniquely, you're just able to adopt those standards to, to consume them. So, uh, you know, there's, there's those two different personas, there's, there's value in both, but um, you know, in it's, uh, it's, it, it definitely has just different focuses there. So some yeah, take advantage sure. of the, the, the framework. Mm -hmm. And just that ease of installation. I mean, if I can get something out of my package manager, I'm so much more likely to use it than if I have to jump through a bunch of hoops and assess it myself to a greater degree. So how does a developer actually go about building an app for the OIN? The, the building for the OIN, they're going to have to, you know, assess their own, you know, what, where, where is their skill set? Okta does make a few uh, different SDKs available to go and interact with Okta endpoints there there are you know sdks that can help you know across there so if you're if you're .NET or if you're in uh you know java or, or coding in javascript there should be you know general generally uh you know the common uh platforms we do maintain sdks for but then you know if you're you're, you're trying to evaluate uh you know an end goal you've got to understand you know what am i what am i building do i want to am i am i trying to build uh, identity, am I trying to displace the identity component of my application or am I just trying to integrate with an existing, uh, you know, a customer's existing uh, identity stack? And that's where most people fall in that category where they just want to be consuming the identity that a, that a customer has. And so that's the, that's the ideal, um, you know, persona for listing in the OIN is, is that ISV that wants to have their um, application discoverable there. Uh, and then if they're, if you're building something that say you're going to consume log data from Okta, or you're going to synchronize the directory data, or you're going to create users in there. Um, you know, those, those integrations would, would look a little bit different there. You'd want to understand, you know, what's the, what's the business outcome or, or what am I trying to do, you, you know, to, uh, get an integration with, you know, that's going to, what customer, uh, problem like, am I solving there? Uh, some of the, you, you know, we see some evolutions around, uh, SaaS optimization. There's a, there's kind of a common, uh, theme that we see there. And so we're starting to document some of those use cases. Other ones that are that have that have thrived in the past have been the the uh, security log and and centralized log management or security analytic platforms. Uh, number of customers you know would adopt those. So we see some of those patterns. Um, so understanding what your end goal is and then identifying which APIs within the Okta framework that you're going to interact with uh, you know would would be kind of the the, the second goal and, and try to develop a, you know, theory of integration there. So you're going to build your code to use those Okta APIs, and you're probably going to build it using OAuth to talk to those APIs. And then once the developer has got their app built, do they basically just hit the submit button and go to go? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, how they how they build this, you know, which which auth message, I, you know, we didn't really, you know, touch on that. But, you know, so regardless of the coding language or which endpoints, you know, if you're, uh, you know, aiming to, to integrate with Okta's APIs, there's, you know, there's, there's OAuth that has been recently released and then, you know, turned into the API service integrations that we've, that we just launched. So you're, you're on a path on the OAuth spectrum, but the beauty of, of OAuth is it allows for you to move away from the static nature of the SSWS tokens. And, uh, you know, those are, those have been convenient. That was the, the original way to interact with the Okta APIs. But if you move into OAuth, now you can start to mint these finely scoped tokens that are, uh, you know, where you're, um, defining the specific scopes that you need to interact with specific APIs and specific methods on and actions on APIs. Those are well documented in the Okta API docs. So it's no, there's no longer is there a mystery of which role do I need to assign to this user to be able to interact with this API? It's a, it's a very well uh, structured class um, scope 
the deadlines to the Oct APIs and methods. So it's it's pretty easy to understand, you know, which scopes you need to request, and, and that also you know leads to you know better outcomes for the customers. Those SSWS tokens, it stands for Sasher Secure Web Services, and Sasher was actually the old name that Okta used to go by, and that tells you what an old technology they are. Um, OAuth is a huge improvement in terms of specificity of what you're granting, and an SSWS token is linked to the specific user that minted it. So if anything changes about that user, that's going to change about the token, plus the tokens tend to be pretty long-lived compared to um, Okta letting you mint creds that only live as long as you need them to. So do you think it's ever okay to choose SSWS over OAuth? The, the number of times, the cases where it falls in is, is going to be you know greatly diminishing. I'm, 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 I actually, I struggle to think of any SSWS tokens at this point become, it's, it's, I don't want to be you know alarmist, but they're, they're kind of a, a disaster waiting to happen. So you know, if you're if you're a customer out there that's relying on SSWS tokens or an integrator that has one, you know, I would I would encourage, you know, um, getting getting aware, you know, reading up on the the API service integrations and and uh, starting to look at what it would take to you know implement in, in your existing code and encourage you know so for for customers to encourage those integrators and for integrators to to really you know drive to this to help to help Okta help customers move their security posture forward. Why do you think people still use tokens at all? Uh, you know, I mean, the tokens are there, you know, they've been around, you, you know, you, you mentioned, in fact, I, I learned something today that, that, uh, Sasher was actually a part of the SSWS, uh, acronym. I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that before, uh, reading the notes today. So that was, uh, you learned something, uh, today, you know, they, they, that was just the original way. And there's a lot of documentation that refers to it. There's a lot of, you know, just inscribed tribal knowledge of, Hey, this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, so there's, you know, there's work to be done on the Octa side to, to make sure that our documentation's all consistently referring across this and all of our examples are, are clearly leading people to you know to this outcome and, and appropriately caveating the the liabilities of an SSWS token. That situation where it worked once and you learned from the time it worked and then you learned from the time it worked and that doesn't make it necessarily a good idea. Um, right. The way that I think of the SSWS tokens, it's like you have a vendor that you want to share some of your information with. And so you sit down at a table with that vendor, you unlock your laptop, somebody who has like production access, like unlocks their laptop, hands their laptop to that vendor and says, here you go, do the thing. You don't want them to have the power to be you. The token gives them the power to be you. It's just um, makes your security reasoning and makes addressing threats so much more challenging. And similarly, imagine you're hiring a vendor to do one thing on your premises and you just hand them the master key to the building. You wouldn't do that. It feels icky to even think about doing that. And that's the kind of feeling that you probably ought to get when you're asked to hand over an SSWS token, especially from a highly privileged account. Yeah. And, you know, and with that, it's, you know, it's these things exist. And I think it just, it highlights the nature of a need for like, if you are doing these things, you should absolutely be auditing them and, and, and aware of it, right? You know, they, the worst thing would be to, you know, to be unaware. And so, um, you know, reviewing, you know your the accounts that are active in your Octoorg and looking at SSWS tokens that have that have been minted and and uh, you know concern you know I would I would inventory those things see which accounts they're associated with you know performing that type of audit uh, you know could be you know really key in turning up um, potential liabilities that exist and 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 then to have that hit list of okay which are the integrations that I need to know 
you know, have on my, on my roadmap to change over the next coming years. It's a, it could be a, a bit of a journey, but just being aware gives you an opportunity to now have audits of some of that usage. And there are products out there in the market that will help you, you know, keep on top of those things. So it's not like, you know, there isn't uh, uh, you know, help there, but, but you should definitely be aware of those integrations and some oh, yeah. of the liabilities that exist. Yeah, there's definitely a path out. Many, many other organizations have had to climb their way out of this security, scary place of um, using primarily tokens to talk to things. But a lot of places have gotten there, and you can too. And OAuth, the OAuth switch can be kind of scary. Like on the one hand, you get to choose exactly what the app is allowed to do. On the other hand, you have to articulate exactly what you want your app to be allowed to do and figure out exactly what it's going to need to be able to do if you're the one developing it and requesting those scopes. So do you have suggestions for developers who might be feeling a bit confused by all of the options that specifying those scopes is going to add compared to just asking for the token and calling it good? You know, if you're, it, it, I think it, it's going to put this awareness right in the customer's face when they're turning these integrations on that, uh, oh, this integration is going to interact with these types of data with these levels of permission. Um, I think it's 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 more clearly like you you get to see uh, you know the end user experience when they're when they're interacting with those um, uh, consent screens. It's 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 very clear. So as a developer, that makes you want to really consider like, hey, why am I? Uh, well, one, when it comes to defining the scopes, am I actually interacting with these API endpoints? Because if I'm just going to go and ask for a widely scoped uh, token, you know, I should expect some friction from users. So you want to think about that. And then two, when you're actually making these data considerations, you know, am I interacting with the right sets of data for the right reasons? And, and uh, am I being responsible with it? You know, some of these, these are some of the, the things that are going to, you know, be considered when you're, when you're doing that. And now you're also putting end users in this consent flow. So it's a little bit more, uh, you know, deliberate when when a when a customer is uh, uh, submitting those. I've also seen uh, vendors that have that have decided to to publish two different sets of scopes. So publish two different applications: one that needed read and write, and one that was a read only. Uh, I believe it was Zylo, uh, if I if I recall correctly, that had that had uh, submitted those, or maybe it was Better Cloud. I, there's there's a, a diverse number of integrations there, but they had had split those into two. And there's there's a lot of examples where that would make sense to have. You know, oh, this is read only. We're just going to be pulling the system log versus this is going to be a SOAR integration where we're going to pull the system log. But we also might add users to groups or uh, change user states, clear user uh, sessions, et cetera, which would be privileged operations that you might not want to just initially turn on. Yeah. And having that conversation up front, what is my app going to do? What do you want my app to do for you? Um, it's so much better than having that conversation. Wait, you did what? After something unexpected happens. Yeah. So yep. <clears throat> when we're reasoning about scopes, when we were prepping for the show, you were telling me about how scopes are these nested logical categories of data that kind of logically map to the API endpoints. What do you think the scopes are that someone should like start with if they're learning about um, how the system works in general? Just perusing the Okta um, API catalog first and just starting to understand the uh, you know the top level structures that Universal Directory has in there, users and groups, and then you know forced order subjects like policies and how they map to users and groups and enrollments. And anyways, there's you know so there's a I think first would be you know familiarizing with the APIs and then understanding you know then when you look at scopes they just become logical because they're going to be things like user dot read uh, you know which would be a scope that would allow a user to read, you know, to read the user's API. So there's, uh, you know, I, I think just 
browsing the, the the general Okta catalog and then and then after that, you know, perusing some of the authorization documentation that we'll talk about scopes. Um, and as you're you know in line with every one of the uh, APIs. API examples they're going to be talking about, uh, especially in the updated API docs that that uh, that are that are out there. You actually see the scopes that are required to perform, uh, you know, at a top level API or down le uh, down level to a, a specific method. You see which scopes are required. When you dig around in the documentation about scopes, you start learning about some of Okta's internal representations, like this app user object that kind of, to my understanding is sort of the mapping between, as you'd expect, apps and users. Um, what are we gonna learn about the Okta internals as we get more familiar with what we're requesting? Oh, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, that's, uh, you know, just as I started uh, working with the Okta you know, system as an administrator, um, it was somebody who was actually, you know, starting to read through APIs and, and to understand the relationships as you interacted with the APIs at a little bit more on the, a base level, you really do start to understand the ins and outs. And so, you know, this construct of, oh, there are app users and that's what drives universal directory. And, and that's where I would see, you know, essentially that graph of, of uh, who user is and what they have access to. It's, it's actually uh, really, really insightful, uh, you know, to kind of just up-level your general Okta uh, knowledge and understanding, but it's, um, it is very logical, you know, when, as you get into it, the, the, the structures, um, are, you know, exactly what you would expect them to be, um, you know, grouped as classes with, with, uh, with a logical noun and verb structure after that. Oh, that's really cool. I love it when you pull back the curtain and what you find behind it makes sense and you kind of would have guessed it. <laughs> Uh, going back to building applications, building integrations, what's new in the world of the integration network? You know, yeah, I, I don't want to you know take over this where we're talking about OAuth versus, but the uh, I think the the API service integrations are definitely you know top of mind for me. Having that available after you know kind of years of of sowing seeds of SSWS integrations into the world, you know, now having a a, a more official and you know you know this this maturized. Uh, integration path is is uh, is huge. And can you speak to what um, guarantees a user will get um, about an app that makes it into the network? I know that we do quite a bit of verification, saying, "Let's see if this thing seems to really work the way it claims to." Uh, what does that look like? And what should a user count on once the app has been vetted by our team if they're installing it from the OIN? Yeah, you know, most of the integrations that go on there, uh, you know, if, if they're if they're listed as not verified, we've we've gone through and, and interacted with the developers on on the other side of this to to build whatever joint documentation needs to be built. You know, usually we have a you know consistent structure there, but we make sure that that's going to work. Uh, you know, we try to gain access to developer tenants or. Uh, to customers to have them say, yes, this configuration worked. And so we'll go through, build the integration, then have the, the, the partner identify a few customers. We will assign those applications to them in private, test the comp, you know, test that they work, and then uh, move forward to publishing those and distributing those apps across the, the Okta, you know, global cell network that exists. So those, those get distributed on a uh, semi-regular basis uh, after their testing. So, I think it's it's that you know consistent documentation and then you know the verifications you know of functionality that, that, that you know you you've got a, a set of working instructions that have a, a known outcome. That's so key. The working instructions with the known outcome. Did it actually do the thing I thought it would? That's ultimately yeah. kind of the security question too. And yeah. one thing that I love about the podcast format 
is that we've got some listeners who are here with us right now, early 2023 kind of time frame. And then down the road, we'll have other listeners in future years, possibly even future decades. And when you imagine those future listeners, is there anything you think they'd be surprised by that maybe they just take it for granted and they're like, wait, you didn't have that in 2023? What do you think their security landscape is going to look like? To the, to the, to the how far in the future here, I guess, you know, can constrain me a little bit. Give me a, give me. Um, let's say one year. Here. What's going to be surprising okay. in one year? You know, I, I think in one year, um, we, we should see some meaningful growth, uh, you know, I, I would I would like to see some meaningful growth and and uh, realization within the security network that that identity becomes this meaningful, uh, you know, more recognized, uh, you know, security control plane. So that we're that we're, you know, continuing to to take advantage of device and and uh, infrastructure and network level security uh, um, investments that have been made, but but kind of continuing to focus more and more on what identity can do and and the further we you know further left in in the uh the sentence that you have identity the you know the higher fidelity the outcomes you know can can be there so i have, I have some real conviction there i'd like to see you know within within a year i think that that starts to to uh materialize a little more oh yeah it's that question of the absolutely secure server is the one that you power off and lock in a box but yeah, right that's also the most useless server and the utility of a secure server, letting the right people do the right things. Hey, look, there's identity. Um, yep. How about in ten years? Oh man, in ten years, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, are we? What are we? What Think sci-fi. Uh, uh, Neuralink, and uh, and uh, then we're trying to have. Uh, oh, that's 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 kind of funny. In ten years, one of my colleagues asking about, hey, what's the what's the identity problem in AI? And we had a a, a very meaningless uh, conversation talking about. Uh, you know what the implications of identity and AI, and and how you would, uh, how you would, uh, you know, apply that or try to solve. You know, what is the actual you know identity problem there? So that was, you know, Keith Oster with a with a with a killer. You know, just kind of stumped the the uh, the supposed expert. What does he have to say about this? And it was it was a funny thing to think about. But yeah, I think in ten years maybe we're having that that conversation of like, hey, what does it mean? What am I augmenting my decisions with and how do I prove the veracity of that data down to like source to algorithm to, uh, you know, then combine it with, you know, who was the ASCII and what was the intent of the, uh, of the question if we, if we think about those things. So, I don't know. Interesting. We do build trust out of identity and that provenance of trust for information. It gets so convoluted when we start permuting the information like we're doing. Like right now, we're worried about identity for people, identity for agents that act on our behalf. And those agents are currently a, a piece of code that you could hypothetically ever read. What happens when you can't read that agent? It's like in this intermediate state. And that's like, you know, I think the, some of the benefits of, of uh, you, know, you know, maybe the, the, the callback here, the benefits of if you're, if you're deploying code and the code has, uh, you know, specific authorizations that are kind of clear and easy to articulate, you get, you know, just inching closer and closer, right? It's, uh, you know, I think we're a long way from like the perfect solutions, but, but these are definitely steps in the right direction to, to, uh, to be more granular and to be more explicit. Oh yeah. I think OAuth is a perfect example of getting more granular and getting more um, explicit and specific as we go on. Yep. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, for podcast listeners, there will be a forum thread to discuss the podcast that's linked in the show notes wherever you found it. And feel free to let us know what you think and if there's any other topics that you'd like to hear about. If you're using SSWS tokens, please ask yourself why. 
And please consider a switch to OAuth if you can. Plus one. 